make your way in and find a place that you can grab a seat and you can finish your conversations after the service. (laughs) So two weeks ago, I preached a message called, I Feel Like Giving Up. Today is going to be kind of the sequel to that message. So if that spoke to you, then I hope that this morning this message will speak to you as well. It was a message about people that were weary and people that were worn out from the fight in their life. So I'm going to start off by asking you a question before I jump into today's message. And that question is, what has the enemy stolen from you? What has the enemy stolen from you? And you know, there might be like a lot of different directions you could go with that in your life. Maybe there's been a lot of things that over the years you have felt like the enemy has stolen from you. But I just want you to just kind of hold that question before the Lord for a minute and say, Lord, what thing is the enemy stolen from me that you want to speak to me about this morning? Where's the place where I feel like the enemy has robbed me of something? Place where I feel like I lost the fight that you want to speak to me about this morning? The title of my message this morning is, I'll give it to you, but you got to go get it. I'll give it to you, but you got to go get it. I want to look this morning at 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. We won't have any slides for you today, so you'll have to take notes and pay attention and open your Bibles and that sort of stuff. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and daughter But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Everyone say, recover all. How many of you want to recover all that the enemy has tried to steal from you in your life? So I want to give you a little bit of a background on this story. So the David that we're talking about here is the David from the famous David and Goliath story. So David spent most of his growing up years out in the field as a shepherd David's brothers were considered men of war. They were like warriors, and they were some bad dudes. But David was like, eh, not so much. We'll just throw him out in the, in the field as a shepherd. So David's out in the field as a shepherd. And while he's there, he's trying his best to be faithful to the job that God gave him and his father gave him of caring for these sheep. While he's in the, sh- in the field with the sheep, 
He's taking care of the sheep. And he's also working on his skills as a musician, and he's writing songs to God, and he's cultivating his relationship with the Lord. And one day, his dad comes to him, and he says, look, your brothers are at war, and they're hungry, and I'm afraid they're not going to have the strength to fight this war and win, so would you take them some food? So David says, sure. So David takes his brothers some food. His brothers don't greet him very warmly when he gets there. But then he gets there and he hears this giant named Goliath that's mocking his God. And he's confused. He looks around like, are all you guys really going to sit here and watch this guy mock our God? Like, are you kidding me? He looks at his brothers and he was like, I thought you guys were like men of war. Like, why are you standing here like a bunch of sissies? Come on. So then they're like, we're not going to go fight that guy. He's a giant. He's huge. So then David goes and he meets with the king, Saul. And he says to Saul, no one else will fight this guy. I want to fight this guy. And Saul says, like, you cannot fight this guy. Like, the men of war don't want to fight this guy. Trust me, you don't want to fight this guy. And David says, no, I actually do want to fight that guy. I'm sick of listening to him mock God, and I've only been here for like 10 minutes. I don't know how you guys are sitting around listening to him mock God. So Saul's like, all right, you could go fight him, but you got to wear my armor. So David tries to put on Saul's armor, and he's like, this doesn't fit. Like, you're bigger than me. I can't wear your armor. I know how to fight him, though. He says, I fought a bear before when he came to try and take my sheep, and I whooped his butt. Then a lion came along, and he wanted to take my sheep, and I told him who was boss, and I killed him. So I'm pretty sure I can handle this guy. So he goes down to the stream, and he finds some stones that'll work well in his sling. And he goes out, and he stands before Goliath, and he spins his sling around, and he throws a stone, it hits him in the head. Goliath falls on the ground dead. David cuts his head off, grabs it by the hair, brings it back to Saul, and he's like, here's this joker that was mocking God. That's what I do with people that mock God. So David is starting to make a name for himself. Like, these other guys were looked at as men of war, but now maybe David's a man of war, you know? So they, they head back to the city where they were from, and they get there, and the women have lined the streets, and they're singing a song. And the song they're singing is about David, but it's a little bit about Saul, too. The song says, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul hears that, and Saul starts to get jealous, and he starts to get angry. Like, David really wasn't looking for the praise. Like, he just wanted to support Saul and didn't want to listen to this guy mock God. And so Saul starts to get jealous, and Saul already has an anger problem. So David's like, look, I can play an instrument, and I can go in, and I can soothe you, and I can quiet your spirit. So David does that, and it works for a little while, but eventually Saul's jealousy and his anger gets the best of him. So he starts throwing spears at David, trying to kill David. So David, who didn't do anything wrong but try and support Saul and try and win the war for him, now David is running for his life. So David runs from, for, from Saul, he's running for his life, just trying to stay alive, and he finds a cave that he can hide in. So David goes to this cave, and he hides in the cave, but when he gets in the cave, he finds out there's a bunch of other guys in the cave. The cave was full of these societal rejects. They were like these people that had all these problems in life. Specifically, the Bible says they were discontent, in distress, and in debt. So like these guys got some serious problems, like nothing is going well in these guys' lives. So David takes these guys, and they approach him, and they say, will you be our leader? 
And David's like, okay, like I'll be your leader. They're like, clearly we need a leader. Like no one in life wants us. Everyone kicked us out of their communities. So like, please lead us, help us. So David says, all right. So he helps these people start to build a community, to build a place where they can live together, a place that they can be. And they live in this place called Ziklag. And they build this city up and they build up this community where they could be together. So then something weird kind of happens, and I'm not sure why it happens. The next thing that happens is David takes these group of guys and they go join the Philistine army. Now, the Philistine army are like the enemies of the Israelites. In fact, Goliath was the biggest, baddest Philistine until David killed him. So it's kind of weird that they would go join this army. And I don't know for sure why they did. Some people believe that the reason they joined the army was because he was running for his life from Saul and he was afraid for his life. Some people believe it was because these guys were in debt and needed money so bad that they were just going to try and make some money. So they joined this army and then the general of the army is preparing for war and he starts going through all the different soldiers trying to make sure everyone is ready to fight. And then he stumbles on David and his guys, and he looks at him and is like, uh, you're not supposed to be here. Like, you guys look different. You guys got to leave. So then they leave, and when they leave, they're headed home to Ziklag, and they're headed to Ziklag, and as they come, they come up over the top of the hill, and they look, and they see smoke in the distance. And they're like, that's weird. That kind of looks like it's over by Ziklag. So they get closer, and they get closer. Eventually, they start to run, and when they get there, they found out that their city that they had built was burned to the ground. Their wives are gone. Their, their kids are gone. Their sons are, are gone. Their daughters are gone. And the Bible says that the men that were with David started to weep, and they started to weep so hard that they wept until they had no more strength left to weep. If a guy's crying in public, it's, he's probably not doing so good. If a guy's crying in public to the point that he has no more tears left to, to cry and no more strength, you know he's in bad shape. And that's where these guys are right now. They are in really bad shape because sometimes life gives you more than you can take. Sometimes life gives you more than you can handle. Sometimes life throws stuff at you that it just doesn't feel fair. Maybe some of you have been in that place where you felt like you cried until you didn't even have any more tears left to cry. That's where this group of guys is. They're super discouraged. Verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed. He was distressed not only because he just lost his wives and his kids, he was also distressed because this group of guys that he's supposed to be in the same camp as them, they're supposed to be on his side, are picking up stones, and now they're talking about murdering him. You know life is not going well when the rejects are rejecting you. And that's where David is right now. Like, everyone has rejected him. He's running for his life from everybody. That's where David is right now. And it says that the men became bitter in their hearts. They became angry in their hearts because they had lost their wives and kids. And they look at David and they're like, we made you our leader. If we wouldn't have followed you, followed you to join this army, at least we would have been at Ziglag and we could have defended ourselves and defended our wives and defended our kids. But now because we followed you, we've lost everything. And now they're picking up stones and they're getting ready to murder David. What do you do when nothing is going right in life? 
You ever feel like that? Like every single thing you try, it's like around every corner, it just seems like nothing is going right. I mean, think about what went on in David's life. He didn't even do anything wrong at this point. Like he was in the field worshiping God, being a faithful shepherd. Then he was faithful with the job his dad gave him to take some food to his brothers. Then he gets there and he finds Goliath mocking God and he takes care of him. And then he, he, Saul should have loved David, like he was just there to support him. He didn't want any of the glory. But then Saul isn't in his corner anymore. Saul's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. David runs for his life. He flees to a cave and then he builds community with this group of people that were rejected in society. And now those people have turned on him. Like nothing is going right in David's life. Even the people that should have been in his corner are not in his corner. And then the Bible says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Another, verse, another version says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David would have lost hope. David could have thrown in the towel. He could have called it quits. But instead, he strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord. So how did David strengthen himself in the Lord? How did he encourage himself in the Lord? And how can you and I strengthen and encourage ourselves when we feel like life is not going well, when we feel like life is not fair, when we're discouraged, when we've cried so much that we don't even have any tears left to cry? How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The first thing that David did was David talked to himself. And the first thing that you can do to strengthen yourself is to talk to yourself. But you can't just say anything. you got to tell yourself the right things. And that's what David learned to do. If you think about it, um, the human heart is like soil. And the words that people speak to us, the words that we hear, are like seeds that are planted in that soil. And if you hear enough negative and bad things, then the, the soil of your heart can become like poison and bitter and probably... You probably know someone who it's like they've had a really hard life and people have said a lot of negative things to them and it's like they become bitter. And that's what happens when we have negative words that are spoken into our life. But the thing that's kind of crazy is if you take all the words that everyone else speaks to you in, in your life, it's like a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of words that you speak to yourself. You speak to yourself more than everyone else in your life added up together over the course of your life. I mean, think about it. You're with yourself all day, every day, and during that whole time, whether you're aware of it or not, you're talking to yourself. Some of you weirdos do it out loud, too. I don't know what that's about. That's particularly strange. But even for those of you that don't do it outside, we're still doing it in our head. We're talking to ourselves all day. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, the way you talk to yourself will create what yourself is in the future. Another way you could say it is where the mind goes, the man goes. Or you bring about what you think about. The words that you think, the things that you say to yourself, literally create what your future will look like. It creates what your life feels like. So David becomes a professional at speaking to himself positively. He becomes a professional at telling himself good things so that he can encourage himself and strengthen himself 
So he doesn't just lay down and die when it feels like nothing in his life is going right. If you read through the book of Psalms, it's like everywhere in the book of Psalms, David is talking to himself. Literally, the entire book is basically David talking to himself. I'm going to give you a few things that he says. He says, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. He says, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He says, yet will I praise him. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As my heart says to seek his face, yes, Lord, I will seek your face. David becomes a professional at telling himself the truth. Becomes a professional at telling himself God's truth about his life. It doesn't matter how much truth someone else speaks into your life. If you're telling, you're telling yourself lies and, not, and, and negativity over and over again. I could preach as hard as I possibly could for 30 to 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, and I will do that. And I'll tell you as much truth as I could possibly pack into that time. But if the words you hear over the course of your week was all the sand on a beach, my words on a Sunday morning would be like if I reached down and just picked up a handful very, very, very small compared to the amount of words that you speak to yourself throughout a day. David becomes the founder of the positive affirmation movement, the speak it into existence movement. This is literally what David does in his whole life. He is constantly, always speaking it into existence, speaking about that which isn't as as though it is. But really, all he's doing is he's aligning himself with what God says is true. He's aligning himself with what God says about his family. He's aligning himself with what God says about his life. He's aligning himself with what God says about his future. It gets so hard in David's life that he literally has people trying to kill him. That's what's going on in David's life right now. Like, if we have a hard week, we might look at someone and be like, you're killing me. And what we mean is like, it's in a figurative way, like you're driving me nuts. David literally has people try and kill him. He's running from his life, then the, for his life, then the people he hides with are now talking about picking up stones to murder him. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. I love the butts of the Bible. There's some big butts in the Bible. Some of you didn't know God has a big butt, but he does. He has a huge butt. And when God says butt, it's something important. It means something is about to change. David was about to give up, but he strengthened himself in the Lord. So you talk to yourself all the time. But what kind of stuff do you say to yourself? I think if we're honest, a lot of us say a lot of negative, depressing discouraging things to ourselves all the time. We say things like, nothing is ever going to change. We say things like, this is hopeless. Nothing ever seems to work for me. Nothing will ever change. My life is over. I will never have enough. I will always be broke. 
I hate my body. I can never seem to get healthy. It's just one thing after another, and we speak negative thing after negative thing after negative thing over our life, and then we wonder why our, what our words are actually producing in our life is the negative thing that we spoke over our life. And I believe that if we began to speak positively over our life, it would produce a different outcome in our life. Maybe some of you struggle with finances, and you just sit and say things like, man, I'm just never going to get ahead financially. When's the last time you got into the Bible and did a study on what God says about your finances? When is the last time you, you looked at the Bible and tried to figure out how to walk under God's blessing financially? Maybe you struggle with health stuff in your body. And you know, when you have something going on, you run to Google, you run to WebMD, and you start Googling your symptoms away, trying to figure out what's, what's going on. Why didn't you do a study of the Word of God and see what God says about health, what God says about your body? Maybe you should start to speak about your body the way that God speaks about your body. I believe that when we learn to speak positively, it will produce a positive outcome in our life. David's back was against the wall. David had a lot of stuff going negative. And the first way that he learned to encourage himself and strengthen himself in the Lord was by speaking positively in the situation. Another thing that we oftentimes focus on, a lot of us, is we focus on our past. We look at our past and the places that we've failed, the places that we've fallen short, and we kind of like chew on that all day long. We remember all of our failures. Maybe you ought to start talking to yourself about how big God is. Start talking to yourself about God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, that he's waiting to accept you if you would just Turn to him. Maybe you ought to remind yourself about people throughout the word of God whose lives were a broken disaster until God showed up and put their lives back together. God specializes in taking broken people and making them beautiful and useful. And you need to begin to speak to yourself and remind yourself of that. Some of you need to learn to speak the scripture over yourself. Verses like Isaiah 54, 17 that says, No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Or Psalm 18, 2 that says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my strength in whom I trust. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. It says, By his stripes... We are healed. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. That means there's nothing you can't do. The thing that you're looking at right now that you feel like you can't do, the scripture says otherwise. God says something else. He says you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Stop speaking depression over your life. Stop speaking negatively about your future because God sees an awesome outcome in your future and you need to align yourself with what God sees and with what God says. I don't know exactly what David said to himself in this portion of scripture to strengthen himself. I can see the full body of work of David's life and see that he became a professional from this point forward at strengthening himself and speaking positively about his life. But things look really, really bad for David right now. I don't know what he said, but I'm guessing that he said, life is not fair right now, it looks pretty bad right now, but I'm fixing to see a change. 
I'm fixing to see this thing turned around. You took my wives, you took my kids, but I'm about to go get them. You're never going to forget the name of David when I'm done with you. Everyone is going to know what David does. I've dealt with bears, I've dealt with lions, I've dealt with Goliath. Now I'm about to deal with the Amalekites. And I want everyone to know about who David is. And when you mess with me, you mess with God's anointed. And David started to see a change in his life. So the first thing that you got to do if you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord is you got to learn how to talk to yourself right. you got to learn to speak to yourself positively. The second thing you got to do is you got to learn to pray for yourself. David began to pray for himself. We see this in verse 7. It says, Then David said to Abiathar, the priest Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So there's a lot of names and a lot of stuff going in there. So what, what exactly is going on there? So David says to the priest's son, Go get the ephod and bring it to me. So the ephod was the priestly garment that the priest would wear when he would do his priestly duties. It went over his shoulders, it cinched up around his neck, and it hung down below his knees. The priest could not go into the temple, he couldn't go into the holy of holies, he couldn't get into the presence of God without wearing the ephod. So every time he wanted to go in the presence of the Lord, he had to put the ephod on. So David is in a place of distress right now, and he says, I don't have time to wait for the priest to come pray for me. I don't have time to wait for the priest to come get me in the presence of the Lord. If God's real, I need him to be real now in this moment. Look, go get your dad's ephod, steal it, bring it here, give it to me. I'm going to put that ephod on and I'm going to get into the presence of the Lord myself. I'm going to hear a word from God myself. I don't have time to wait for pastor. I don't have time to wait for the priest. I need God to be real to me. Now, and David cried out to God and began to pray for himself because there's no one else in his corner that's willing to pray for him. Saul should have been praying for him, but he wants to kill him. His friends should be praying for him, but they want to kill him. The priest is nowhere to be found, so David says, if no one wants to pray for me, I will pray for myself. Some of you, the only spiritual nourishment you get in your bodies is Sunday morning from 10.30 till 11.30 or 11.45 it's not going to be enough for where God wants to take you. If you want to get where God wants you to go, if you want to take back what the enemy has stolen from you, what you receive on Sunday morning will never be enough. It's good. It's important. Obviously, I think it's important. I'm here. If it wasn't important, I wouldn't come. But I believe it is important. I believe it's critical for each one of us to be here. But it was never meant to be enough. You have to learn how to get in the presence of the Lord yourself. You have to learn how to get in the presence of the Lord when life gets hard. It's not just enough to be able to get in the presence of the Lord and sing when things are going well. You've got to be able to get in the presence of the Lord when you get bad news about your kid. You've got to be able to get in the presence of the Lord when your marriage is falling apart. You've got to be able to get in the presence of the Lord when you find out you get fired from your job. In these moments in our life, from Monday to Saturday, we have to be able to get in the presence of the Lord. We have to develop a prayer life. We have to cultivate a relationship with the Lord. Psalm 116.2 says, this is David again, he says, Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. David learned when he was in the field, cultivating a relationship with the Lord, he learned that he had the ear of God Almighty himself. 
He learned that when he prayed, he had authority before God. And the same is true for each one of you. You have authority with God. You are in right standing with God. When you're going through something hard in your life, and you want to call me to come be with you and pray for you, I'm going to do my best to get there. But there's going to be times I'm not going to be able to get there. And you need to know that for yourself, you don't need to wait on pastor or an elder or anyone else. You can get into the presence of the Lord and pray for yourself. And when stuff got real bad in David's life, he leaned on what he learned in the field as a shepherd. On the day-to-day, cultivating a relationship with God, cultivating a prayer life, he learned that when he prayed, God heard him and God answered. So that in this moment when he needed God most, he knew that when he prayed, God would hear. David said, if no one else is going to pray for me, then I'll pray for myself. I will strengthen and encourage myself in the Lord. And then in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 30, it says, So David inquired of the Lord, this is him praying, saying, Shall I pursue the troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. First, you've got to learn to talk to yourself. Then you have to learn to pray for yourself. And now you have to move yourself. How many of you want to recover all that the enemy stole from you? How many of you want to recover all? The enemy has stolen things from each one of us. How many of you want to recover what the enemy has stolen? Who wants to recover what the enemy... Do you want it or not? Why are you sitting there? I said you got to move and you're sitting there like dummies. Do you want to recover what the enemy has stolen from you? Goodness gracious. God says everything the enemy has stolen from you, you can have it back. Everything the enemy stole from you, you can have it back. Everything the enemy stole from you, you can have back. But you can't get any of it if you don't move. None of it. In fact, God promises and guarantees the victory. He said, surely you will overtake them and without fail recover all. Guaranteed victory but also guarantee you don't get any of it if you don't pursue. If you're just going to sit there with your mouth closed when I say you can recover all, you don't get any of it. you got to get up and you got to pursue. You have to go after what God is given to you. He'll give it to you, but you got to go get it. He will give you every bit of it, but you have to go get it. God told David he would recover all but you could guarantee he wouldn't get any of it if he didn't move himself. David has skin in the game, and you have skin in the game. Some of you sit back and just sit back and be depressed all the time. Why won't God do this for me? Man, like, I just wish God would give it to me. He'll give it to you, but you got to go get it. you got to do your part, too. Like, you can't just sit there and expect God to be a sugar daddy. He'll give you the victory, but he wants you to go get it. He wants to partner with you. This isn't an alone thing. There's no part of Christianity that's an alone thing. He wants to partner with you. You have to pursue, but he will give you the victory. In verses 9 and 10, it says, So David went, he and 600 men who were were with him, and came to the brook Bezer, where they stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, 
who were weary that they could not cross the brook Bazer. So here, God speaks to David, and he says, Pursue, surely you will recover all. David gets up with Ziglag literally in smoke, and he goes after these Amalekites that took his wives and his kids and all of his stuff. And he says, I want my stuff back. The 600 men, they go and they head down towards where they think the Amalekites went. And they come up to this river called Bazer. And 200 of the men laid down because they were weary and they didn't have the strength to cross the river. And David went across with 400 men. Now, David thought he had every weapon he needed in 600 men. In fact, he probably looked at the Amalekites and was like, we're going to have our hands full. Like, I got 600. I don't know how many guys they got, but we're going to have our hands full. And then a third of them lay down and go to sleep because they don't have what it takes to cross the river. And David's going, I thought I barely had enough. But now I go across the river and I had to give up a third of what I had to get where God's going with me, where God is taking me. God wants you to know this morning that where he's taking you, there's some stuff you're going to have to leave behind. There's some stuff that you thought was exactly what you needed to get where God wants you to go, and you're going to have to leave it behind. Some of you, there's some people in your life that you're going to have to leave behind. There's some coping mechanisms. There's some ways of thinking. There's some tools that worked in the past that aren't going to work anymore. And God says, if you want to get where I'm taking you, there's some stuff that you're going to have to leave behind. Before I get into too much trouble, don't go tell your spouse that in the car. Some of you are going to get in there, baby, I'm sorry, pastor said you got to go. I'm not, I'm not saying that. There might be some people in your life that you got to kick to the curb that aren't helping you, but you, you can't carry dead weight to where God wants to take you. you got to be able to run to where God's taking you. The rest of the story is, we don't have time to look at it all, but I'll just explain to you what happens. They cross the river, they get to the other side, I'm guessing they were following the tracks of these Amalekites, the tracks on the ground from them taking all these people and running. They get out into the desert, and all of a sudden the tracks disappear. They don't know where to go. They're looking around, and they're like, we want to pursue. We want to go where God is telling us to go, but we don't know where to go. Like, what are we supposed to do? And just at that time where they didn't know where to go, and they didn't know what to do, they stumble across this guy. And the guy's like almost dead, just barely hanging on to life. And David asks him a couple questions, and he finds out he was the servant of one of the warriors that took David's wives and children and everyone else's wives and children. And you might think like David might have just stomped him on the throat right there and killed him, but he doesn't. In fact, he gives him some food, he gives him some water, he nurses him back to health, he acts real nice with him, hoping that the guy will like him, and then as soon as the guy feels better, he looks at him and he says, tell me where they went now. Tell me where they went. Tell me where my wives are. Tell me where my kids are. And what I want you to see here is that as you follow God, as you step out and say yes to him and start to pursue that which the enemy has stolen from you, there is going to come a point where you're going to look around and say, God, I want to obey you. I want to follow you, but I don't even know where to go. I don't even know what to do. And at the right place, at the right time, God will bring the perfect people in your life to give you the information that you need to get where God wants you to go. Just when it feels like you're out there in the middle of the desert going like, I don't even know what to do. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow God, but I don't know what to do. God will bring the perfect person into your life 
at the perfect time to say, this is where you have to go. So the rest of the story with David and these men is that man who was sick that they nursed back to health, he brings him to the place that the Amalekites went. David creeps up to the top of the hill and looks over the top and he looks down to the valley and he sees these guys partying like there's no tomorrow. I mean, these guys took all of his stuff, took all of his kids, took everything that was his and they're partying like there's no tomorrow. And David looks at him and he says, for you, there is no tomorrow because I'm about to kill every last one of you who stole from me. So David waits till nightfall. He takes his men, they go in, and they make every last one of those men pay. Not one of them escapes, except for a couple young guys that he lets escape on camels. A lot of people look at that and say, like, he, would, he killed all the warriors. He surely could have killed those young guys. Like, why did he let them go? I don't know for sure, but I believe David let them go because he wanted word to spread about how bad of a dude he was. If you mess with me, let those guys tell you what happens to the guys that mess with me. The guys who thought they beat me, the guys who took my wives and my kids, let them go spread the word about what happens when you mess with David. So then David takes all. David recovers all. Everyone say recover all. David recovers all and a whole lot more. He takes everything that they have, the spoils that he takes, is so much that he doesn't even know what to do with it. In fact, David starts shipping it out to other people. He starts sending out to other people, out to other kings, out to other leaders, saying, hey, we want a war, we got all this stuff, we want to give to you some. God is not only going to give back to you what the enemy stole from you, he's going to give you back enough that you're going to be able to bless all the people around you. It's not just for you. It's so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. God's going to give you so much more that you lost, you're not even going to know what to do with it. You're going to start looking for people to give away what God is given to you. Then they take what's left, and they head back to Ziklag to rebuild their lives. And they cross that river, Bezer, and the 400 men see the 200 men that wouldn't go and wouldn't fight with them. And says to David, don't give them a dime. Don't give them anything. They don't deserve anything. They didn't go with us. They didn't fight with us. Don't give them anything. They don't deserve it. And David looks at his men and he says, like, I don't think you understand this God that I serve. Like, I don't think you understand grace. I don't think you understand mercy. We're going to go and we're actually going to give them everything that was theirs out of mercy. And we don't know why David did it, but Knowing David, I think the reason David did it was a strategic move also because he knew if he shared with those men what they didn't deserve, it would encourage them. It would fill them up with courage so that when it came time for the next battle that they had to face, those men would remember. The last time we went to, the war, to war, even though I didn't have the strength to go get it myself, God in his mercy gave to me, and that's the kind of God that I want to serve. And so they gave back to those men even when they didn't deserve it. Some of you have gone and you have gone to the enemy's camp and you've taken what Jesus, taken back what the enemy stole from you. By the grace of God, you've gotten free in areas of your life that you used to think, I don't know if I'll ever be free in this area of my life. There's generational curses that were on your family and you've broken the curse. Some of you, you're the first person in your family to make it till 60 and still be married. You broke the curse of divorce in your family. Some of you, there's alcohol addiction and all kinds of other addiction and, and all kinds of nonsense in your family's past. And you went to the enemy's camp and you got what was stolen from you and you brought it back. 
And when you come back and you're walking in wholeness and, and, and walking in the blessing of what God has given to you, don't look back at the people who, who couldn't go across the river and just, just kick them to the curb. Go back and bring them grace. Go back and bring them mercy. Go back and speak hope and life into them and remind them that even though they didn't have the strength to, to fight that fight a long time ago, you have grace and mercy available for them today. Come back and bring freedom to those people that didn't have the strength, just like David did with the 200 men that didn't have the strength to go on. He brought them back their inheritance. Go take the inheritance back to the people that didn't have the strength to cross the river. Some of you this morning, you're stuck in a place of negativity in your head. You haven't learned to talk to yourself. Like, you're your own biggest enemy. It's not even the enemy outside of us that's a problem. It's the enemy in your head. It's you speaking to yourself negatively, speaking death, speaking depression over yourself. And David would look at you and he'd say, the first thing we got to do is we got to learn how to talk to ourselves. We got to learn how to align our words with what God says. We got to learn how to align our words with the word of God, with his promises over our life. And some of us, we've learned how to talk to ourselves, but we're not getting enough spiritual nourishment for, throughout the week. Like we look, rely on Sunday morning to just kind of carry us from Sunday to Sunday, but then we're stumbling and struggling. And David said, you've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn how to get in the presence of the Lord. You've got to learn how to feed yourself spiritually. You can't just rely on somebody else. You've got to feed yourself spiritually. And some of you have been in the place where you've cried all your tears until you felt like you didn't have any strength left to cry anymore, and you've just been in that place of being discouraged, and you've got to learn how to move yourself. God is speaking to you this morning, and he's saying, you can recover all that was stolen from you, but you have to pursue. You have to get up, and you have to go after that thing that the enemy stole from you to take it back. Amen? Lord, I thank you for each person who's here this morning. Each person who heard this word that you wanted to speak to them. And Lord, I ask that each person would take a step in the place that they're at. They would learn how to talk to themselves if they've been telling themselves all kinds of negative things. They would learn how to memorize scripture to chew on to, to bring them freedom and hope and victory. For those people that aren't, aren't nourishing themselves spiritually throughout the week, Lord, we, are, we live in a day and in a time where we need the body of Christ, to walk in wholeness and freedom. And, and they have to learn to feed themselves. It's not just going to be enough just to hear a sermon for a half an hour on a Sunday morning. We need to learn to feed ourselves and get in the presence of the Lord ourselves and pray and talk to God and learn that we have his ear and he hears us when we pray. And Lord, for those people that have just been stuck, immobile, Lord, I ask that today would be the day they would get up and move. They would begin to get up and pursue that which the enemy stole and go and fight for the victory. And they would find that you actually gave them the victory. All they had to do was walk in it. All they had to do was move. All they had to do was obey and pursue. God, I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place today. In your name I pray. Amen. Bless you guys.